and gentlemen of the congregation, welcome to another episode of the Motorsport Ministry, your home for all hot takes, news, and other things revolving around the racing world. This is episode number 82, we're only 18 episodes away from the big episode 100 mark. Gotta start planning something special for that monumental episode. But speaking of monumental... So I was originally going to talk about, you know, the Truck Series playoffs, talk about what's going to happen at Kansas for our NASCAR topic, but then we got some breaking news that dropped a couple days ago, and the announcement was confirmed today, so we're going to be talking about that, I'm pretty sure you all know what it is, and we're also going to be talking about kind of this debate that's been going on in the open wheel world, which is super license points, and uh, we'll get to that once we get to that segment, but... Let's get started by talking about the breaking news that basically dropped a couple days ago by Adam Stern. It dropped yesterday, I believe, or two days ago. And it was also confirmed by NASCAR, by North Wilkesboro Speedway, by the governor of North Carolina, that North Wilkesboro Speedway will be hosting the NASCAR All-Star Race in 2023. And before I talk about you know, what this means for the sport, what this means for short track racing, obviously North Wilkesboro Speedway. I just want to say this first. Have you ever heard of the story of David and Goliath? David and Goliath, you know, whether you're a biblical person, whether you're a religious person, or whether you just know the story. This is pretty much a David and Goliath story. Or maybe more specifically, a comeback story, if you will. Because back in the 90s, the late 90s, you know, North Wilkesboro has had a Cup Series date since 1996, and that's because one of its dates went to Texas Motor Speedway. And how ironic is it that now, over 20 years later, that North Wilkesboro Speedway would be taking a date away from Texas Motor Speedway? Not only is that a David and Goliath story, but that is a comeback story that I don't think we've... <laughs> like, name me... A time when a track got basically shut down by another track, and then said track that got shut down made a comeback to basically say, yeah, no, like, we're going to take over again. You could go back to doing what you were doing. But anyways, I digress. Let's talk about just the ramifications just as a whole, because this has a lot of implications just throughout, you know, the NASCAR world. Number one. We kind of had an idea that North Wilkesboro, something's going to be happening to it. When they announced that all dirt track activities for the month of October were going to be canceled. Because once they raced around there in August, they realized that the pavement was still relatively, had a good racing service to race on. So they were like, there was no point to, there was no need to have to tear up the surface, race dirt for a month, and then have to repave it again. Especially because we've known as of recently that unless you're going to change the track as a whole to a completely different type of track, i.e. what Auto Club is going to become and what Atlanta has become, repaves don't particularly mean the best for racetracks. Look at tracks like Michigan and the aforementioned Texas Motor Speedway, for example. So the fact that North Wilkesboro's surface, despite the fact that it's, you know, probably going to be the oldest surface on the Cup Series schedule now, the fact that it's still that good to race on is monumental. I mean, I don't think anybody was expecting that. On top of that, this is another short track added to the schedule. So next year, we're going to have The Clash, Bristol, 
Martinsville, Richmond, and now North Wilkesboro. Remember back in 2020 or 2020, you know, 2019, we'll go pre-pandemic, when we only had three short tracks on the schedule. Now we have, and only two road courses on the schedule, excuse me, three road courses on the schedule because we had the Charlotte Roval. Now imagine telling someone back in 2019 that in 2023, we would have five short tracks and six road courses. With one of them being a street course and one of those short tracks being a dirt race. The sport of NASCAR has changed so much just in the past two to three years that it's monumental. I mean, imagine again, telling someone in 2019 what the sport would become in this in the year 2023, they would tell you that they would act like you're a chicken with your head cut off for crying out loud. They tell you to get blue in the face. So we got another short track to the schedule. The pavement is probably going to be the oldest in the skit, on the oldest. And speaking of age, this is probably going to be such a monumental, just nostalgia boost for so many NASCAR fans, especially the NASCAR fans of old. Remember back in '96? Well, the people were actually, you know, around in '96. I wasn't even, I wasn't born until five years later. But back in '96, when North Wilkesboro was cut off from the schedule. NASCAR pretty much abandoned North Wilkesboro County, and then essentially North Wilkesboro County essentially abandoned NASCAR. So NASCAR now by going back to North Wilkesboro with the same with the same asphalt, getting you're going to get that fan base back because NASCAR is pretty much saying that we want you to come back and we are investing it into. You. And also another thing I want to say is, so yesterday I was on the phone call with my good buddy William Richard, aka NASCAR Opinion, and. This announcement today pretty much just confirmed what me and him have been thinking for the longest time. And he said it more times than I have. You can go on his Twitter at NASCAR Opinion. He's got multiple tweets talking about this tour. NASCAR can pretty much do whatever they want. They're a multi-billion dollar corporation. They can do whatever they put their minds to. Look what they've done with Bristol making one of their races into a dirt race. Look at the Chicago street course. Look at all the innovations they've added. The next gen car. NASCAR can do what they want. So when we hear things like, oh, the track doesn't have the infrastructure, or oh, this, or X, Y, and Z, it's too old. You know, we need a truck race to get there, then an expanding, and maybe we'll get a cup. That's all a bunch of baloney. First of all, you're never going to get the truck. You're never going to get the same outcome from a truck and Xfinity race as you would a Cup race. Just look at Xfinity truck races on TV compared to Cup for crying out loud. And number two, like I said, NASCAR can do whatever they want. This announcement showed that. Remember back when North Wilkesboro was announced that it was going to return back last year, and they were saying that maybe we could get trucks there, but Cup Series pretty much most likely is never going to come back because it doesn't have the infrastructure. Well, look what NASCAR is doing now. They are bringing the Cup Series back to North Wilkesboro. Yes, it's for the All-Star Race. It's only an exhibition. But at the same time, a Cup Race is still a Cup Race. It's still going to get multiple eyeballs. So this announcement, the North Wilkesboro, again, it was basically, it was announced today. What you're getting right now is nothing scripted. This is my pure just thoughts and reaction to what is going to be happening now let's talk about what this means also for texas motor speedway i think texas is pretty much on its last leg at this point they're probably only going to have one race date next year again even though i do think that they are contractually obligated to two race dates nascar is probably going to work a way around that to where they're only going to get one especially now that eddie gossage is now out of the picture but i think texas is on its last foot they got to do something it was announced like semi-announced, you know, like with rumors and such that 
Texas is going to go through some sort of massive reconfiguration and repave in order to approve the racing. What that is, I don't know. It could be a super speedway. It could be a short track. It could be just going back to the original layout. We don't know what the future holds for Texas Motor Speedway, but, I mean, Texas has no one to blame but themselves. They repave. I mean, repaves are going to have to happen. They're, they're, they're bound to happen. It's only a matter of time. But reconfiguring it the way they did, making the racing horrible, and on top of that, the PJ1 being staying onto the track, ruining it even more, it was just a matter of time before Texas Motor Speedway was going to have to get repaved so, and just reconfigure. Because if they kept trying to do what they did, just keeping it as it is, Texas probably would have been just shut down entirely. They probably would have the same fate that Chicagoland ended up happen ends up happening. So, that's my thoughts on the North Wilkesboro Speedway announcement. Returning to the Cup Series, again, this just proves that NASCAR can really do whatever they want. If they want to go somewhere and renovate it, they can do it. And we've seen that, again, Chicago Street Course, the Bristol Dirt Race, reviving North Wilkesboro Speedway. NASCAR can really do whatever they want. If you hear things like, oh, we need to send trucks and Xfinity there first, then all the infrastructure, that's just a bunch of baloney. But... All jokes aside, this is fantastic news. This could potentially bring the All-Star Race back to relevance. You know, we have to see what the next-gen car does next year with the short tracks, because the short tracks have been very lackluster this year with the next-gen car. So hopefully with the changes, if NASCAR does make changes, if the changes next year, they will improve it. And if they do, this could be potentially the greatest All-Star Race that we've seen in potentially decades. But I'm excited for this. North Wilkesboro Speedway is back, and... I mean, again, this is just a win for short track racing. This is a win for NASCAR. This is a win for just everyone involved. Unless you're a fan of Texas Motor Speedway, of course. All right, so there's been a hot topic that's been around the open wheel racing scene that's really started about a week or two ago where there's a rumor that Colton Herta is going to be going to the AlphaTauri Formula One team for next season in order to replace Pierre Gasly who sounds more and more likely that he is going to be taking that second Alpine seat that was left, that's being left vacant by Fernando Alonso, and technically Oscar Piastri as well. But what I've been hearing as of late is just the fact that there's a bunch of people just kind of debating this idea of super license points. Now, if you guys don't know where this debate started, like I mentioned, Colton Herta, you know, current IndyCar driver for Andretti Autosport, He's being rumored to go to the AlphaTauri Formula 1 team to be paired up alongside Yuki Tsunoda for the 2023 F1 season. Again, replacing Pierre Gasly, who would be going over to Alpine. But if you guys don't know this about Formula 1, so in Formula 1, you need something called a super license in order to be eligible to race in Formula 1. It's pretty much just like basically a doctrine saying that you are capable of racing in Formula 1. However, in order to acquire said super license, you need to have a max a certain amount of super license points. And the way you get those super license points is you just compete in different racing series. All major motorsports give out super license points, but to a different degree. Formula 2, IndyCar, F3, Formula 3, World Endurance, IMSA, even NASCAR gives super license points. All major motorsports, I'm not sure about motocross or motorcycle racing, but all major motorsports give some form of super license points. The problem here is that Colton Herta, so you need 40 super license points to be eligible to race in Formula 1. Colton Herta currently has 36, and they base these super license points 
off of your most recent three years of racing. So for Colton Herta, they would base it off his 2021, 2020, and 2019 seasons in IndyCar. They wouldn't go any further back, and they wouldn't take into account his 2022 Super License points, you know, once he finishes the season and he collects those set points. Here's where all of the debate is coming in. And really, I'm going to talk a little more about my opinion on this, but let's go over the points that are given for said in for said Super License points for the top three series that do give out said Super License points. So the top three series that give Super License points are Formula 2, IndyCar, and Formula 3. Now, the key is, normally I would say in no particular order, but in this case, that is an order. Before we continue any further, does anyone find a little bit odd that Formula 2, a developmental series, gives out more super license points than IndyCar, which is supposed to be a top-level motorsport, one of the big three, if you will? Now, you might be saying, oh, okay, it can't be by that much, right? And in a way, it isn't, but let's go over it. So, the amount of suit, you get more super license points depending on where you finish in the standings. So, for the top three, it's as follows. If you finish first in the standings, whereas you win the championship in F2, IndyCar, and F3, you get 40, 40, and 30 points respectively. So, if you win the championship in F2 or in IndyCar, you get as all the super license points that you need to head over to Formula 1. So, guys, like, you know, let's say if Will Power wins the title this year, he'd be able to get into F1 along with Alex Pelot, who won the title last year. If you finish second, this is where it starts to get tricky. If you finish second in each standings, you get 40 for F2, 30 for IndyCar, and 25 for F3. Can any of you out there name me who is currently second in the Formula 2 standings? I'm not talking about looking it up and, you know, doing that. I'm talking about just off the top of your head. Can you name me who's F who's second in the Formula 2 standings? Most likely you can't. Now, I can tell you off the top of my head who's second in the IndyCar standings. That's Joseph Newgarden, who I've been saying for the longest time is the best American open-wheel racer in the country, arguably in the world. Why is Joseph Newgarden going to get less points to race in Formula 1 than someone in a developmental series in Formula 2? And it gets even worse. Third in the standings for F2 gets 40 points as well. So if you finish top three in F2, you get your 40 super license points. IndyCar, you only get 20, and it's the same in F3. Why do you get the same amount of points in IndyCar than you do in Formula 3? That would mean that Scott Dixon would get the same amount of super license points this year as whoever's third in the standings in F3. And again, most likely you can name me who is third in the Formula 3 standings, as you can't name me who's probably third in the Formula 2 standings off the top of your head. Now, fourth place is where it really just drives me nuts. Fourth place, you get 30 points for Formula 2. Okay, now you finally get a drop-off. IndyCar, you only get 10. F3, you get 15. I'm sorry, I don't care if you're an FIA series, you know, I get F the FIA probably want an F4, F3, F2, F1. They want that ladder system, but there is no way in any right, shape, or form that Formula 3 in any capacity should be granted more super license points 
than IndyCar. Now, why am I kind of talking down on F2 and F3 kind of to prop up IndyCar? Especially, this is kind of rare for me, considering that 9 times out of 10 when I talk about IndyCar, I'm pretty much bashing them for pretty much, you know, being the non-existent series out of the big three, the black sheep out of the big three, if you will. And don't worry, I will bash them in a sense later on, because in a way, I think they have no one to blame but themselves in this case. But let me just say this. IndyCar, not, a lot of times people say that IndyCar racing is more competitive than Formula One racing. IndyCar is a proper motorsport. A top echelon of auto racing. So the fact that we are grouping IndyCar in the same category, if not beneath, not just one, but two developmental series, not even the top echelons of their respective ladders, is just disrespectful to the IndyCar series itself. And I've heard people say that, oh, you know, F2, you know, it's this next step to Formula 1. Of course it should be just as much as IndyCar. Well, number one, IndyCar, you got proper talent racing there as well. You don't just got, you know, young guys. Scott Dixon, you can argue he's one of the greatest race car drivers on the planet. Same for Will Power. And again, Joseph Newgarden, in my opinion, is the greatest open-wheel American driver racing today. But not only that, you got a variety of tracks. You got road courses, street courses. You got ovals as well. You got the biggest racing series in the world, biggest race in the world on their schedule. Everything that IndyCar does trumps anything anyone would do in Formula 2. I can tell you something. I would personally rather be top three in the IndyCar standings than win the Formula 2 championship. Because it's just more of a grand picture. You win the Formula 2 championship. Okay, okay, great. You win a developmental series championship. You win the IndyCar championship. You win the championship for a top echelon motorsport series. That means a lot more than winning a developmental championship. In fact, you can even make the argument that winning the Xfinity Series Championship can mean more than winning the, in, than winning the Formula 2 Series Championship. The Xfinity Series. But why is IndyCar treated in this way? Why is IndyCar treated in such this disrespectful manner than the likes, you know, more disrespect than the likes of F2 or F3? Well, there's a couple reasons, and this is why I'm going to start bashing IndyCar again. Number one, IndyCar has no identity. I I'm sorry, they don't have an identity. They should be. Again, they're supposed to be one of the big three most popular racing series in the world, along with NASCAR and Formula One. But nine times out of ten, you rarely figure out what's happening on Indy in IndyCar. Again, I was talking with my buddy Nas William Richard, NASCAR Opinion, on the phone the other day. He didn't even know that IndyCar season finale was coming up. And again... If you don't even know that IndyCar... You know when NASCAR's season finale is coming up. You know when Formula 1's season finale is coming up. Hell, you know when Arca's season finale is coming up most times. But they did, he didn't know that IndyCar's season finale is coming up. And a lot of people don't know that IndyCar's season finale is coming up. That's what I'm saying. IndyCar doesn't market itself. They don't have an identity. The only thing that they're banking on is the Indianapolis 500. And that's a problem. When you have one race in the when you have one race on your schedule, that whether let's just say this, if IndyCar season was only the Indianapolis 500, it would make no difference as to their as to their ratings, as to their schedule, as to anything, and that's a major problem. IndyCar can't have that. IndyCar, and again, the sad thing is, 
IndyCar, in my opinion, has bigger pieces than both the NASCAR and Formula One. They race on all different kinds of tracks, road courses, street courses. They race on ovals, both short and fast ovals. They got the diversity. You got drivers from America. You got drivers from New Zealand. You got drivers from Europe. You got drivers from you got Asia. Drivers from all around the world coming to race in your series. You got the biggest race in the world on your schedule. You got one of the most respected names in motorsports history owning your series. You have everything in place to make IndyCar one of the most popular sports in the world. And it's like they just don't take any of it. They, they don't. IndyCar, in all realism, should be more popular than NASCAR and should be more popular than F1. I, I truly believe that. Because they have more star power, in my opinion. They have more potential. They got more diversity. They got more diversity in tracks. Like, everything. And they, not only the fact that they host the biggest race in the world. But they don't. They have so much potential, and they never take it. That is the problem. When IndyCar has its championship hosts, you know, when IndyCar crowns its champion, most people probably aren't going to realize it. I mean, look what happened when Joseph Newgarden won the championship. They didn't promote it. Okay, he won a second championship. They didn't promote it. Pelot won the championship. They didn't promote it. Dixon, the most promotion I've seen out of IndyCar minus the Indy 500 is when Scott Dixon tied Mario Andretti and I think surpassed him. They made that a pretty decent big deal. But again, why did it take them until 2022 to finally realize that? But if we're going off the competition aspect of IndyCar, IndyCar is way more competitive than Formula 2. And do not argue with me otherwise. Yes, they're both spec series, but you got veterans and young drivers trying to prove themselves in IndyCar. Some of the best drivers in the world race in IndyCar. What do you have in Formula 2 and Formula 3? You got a bunch of young guys trying to prove themselves. And that's it. You got a bunch of raw talent, whereas in IndyCar, you got established veterans and talent, raw talent as well. So, in my opinion, IndyCar should count for way more than Formula 2. If at the very least, exactly the same. The fact that drivers in F2 and F3 have the chance to score more super license points in IndyCar is not only disrespectful, but criminal as well. So, that's what I want to talk about here is that, you know, just the debate as a whole, especially with Colton Herta. Colton Herta, I mean, at that point, just get rid of the super license points in general. Just let them in. You allow guys like Nikita Mazepin in Formula 2. You allow guys like Sergey Sorokin in Formula in Formula 1. You guys, again, allow guys like Nikita Mazepin in Formula 1. So, the fact that Colton Herta actually has won seven IndyCar races and has finished top three in the standings before... That should mean a lot more to competing in Formula 1 than, you know, a guy who finishes 3rd or 4th in Formula 2 or Formula 3 probably won't even get even get the opportunity to compete for an F1 seat. But th this is the one time I'm probably going to end up defending IndyCar, though in a way I have to bash them because I do think that they kind of also put themselves in this hole as well. But the fact that IndyCar gets that little respect in terms of competing in Formula 1 from not just the FIA, but the fans in general. It's a proper racing series, and in my opinion, a proper top echelon racing series will always mean more than just a mere development series at the end of the day. Alright, now let's bring back another segment that hasn't been on this show for a couple weeks. 
best bets and picks of the week. If you guys don't know how this works, so what I'll do is I'll give you guys two picks of mine for the race weekend going forward. I will give you my pick to win the race, and then I'll give you the best bet to place for a driver who's going to win the race. So, for example, if I pick Joey Logano to win Kansas, I might pick a different driver to bet on because I just think that driver has better odds, but around the same chance to win the race as Logano. So, we got two races to talk about today. We got the Italian Grand Prix for Formula One, and then we got the Cup Series race at Kansas. I believe next week is when the IndyCar season finale is, so then we'll also be talking about the betting odds for the championship and who I think will be the best bet in terms of placing for the championship will be. So with that being said, let's get started by talking about the Italian Grand Prix. Currently, Max Verstappen is the favorite. By the way, I'm getting all these odds on DraftKings Sportsbook. But currently for the Italian Grand Prix, Max Verstappen is the favorite at minus 265. However, he's not going to be my pick or bet to win for this race. Now, why is that? Why am I not picking the guy who's won 10 races so far this year? We're not even done with the season yet. And he's on a four-race win streak. Well, Verstappen at the Italian Grand Prix hasn't really been the best. He hasn't won here. I don't even think the, I don't even remember the last time he's finished on the podium here. And on top of that, last year, he couldn't get by Danny Ricciardo when he ended up causing a crash with Lewis Hamilton, which took him out of the race. So I'm not going to pick Max Verstappen. I'm going to pick Charles Leclerc. He won the Italian Grand Prix back in 2019. He's always been up front and fast at the Italian Grand Prix. Ferrari is always good at this track at Monza. So he's not only going to be my pick to win the race, but at plus 600, he's also going to be my favorite bet to place for this race as well. So put me in for Charles Leclerc to win the race and at plus 600, Charles Leclerc as a bet for this race. And finally, we'll be talking about the Cup Series race at Kansas Speedway. The Hollywood Casino 400, where Denny Hamlin is actually the favorite to win the race at plus 550. Interesting fact, the top three are all Toyotas. So keep that in mind, because Toyota was really fast when we last raced at Kansas earlier this year. Kyle Busch and Mark Truex Jr. ran out the top three at plus 6 and 700, respectively. You don't find even a Ford all the way until you get to Ryan Blaney at plus 1600. You got a couple Chevys in there, Chase Elliott plus 750. But my pick to win the race is gonna go to Kyle Busch. He led the most laps at Darlington, 155 I believe. So I think that 18 team is finally starting to show speed. And on top of that, Toyota was really fast as Kansas earlier in the year. If they could keep the engine problems to a minimum, I think Kyle Busch has a great shot of winning this race and making it on to the next round. My bet to place for this race, however, is not going to go to the 18 car. It's actually going to go to his teammate, the driver who has plus 1,000 odds for this race, and that is Christopher Bell. Bell has been very good all season long. Eight top fives, 15 top tens, one of the most consistent drivers all season long. One of the fastest drivers at these mile-and-a-half tracks. So you give me a JGR car, you give me a Toyota with lower odds or higher odds than a guy like Hamlin, Kyle Busch, or Truex. I like Christopher Bell, plus 1,000. He's the bet that I would place to win the race this week. And that is going to do it for our best bets of the week. And that's going to do it for this edition. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to episode 82 of the Motorsport Ministry. If you guys want to listen to all previous, if you, excuse me, if you guys want to listen to all previous 81 episodes of the Motorsport Ministry, you can follow us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and Amazon Music. You can find our entire back catalog 
Also, if you want to follow me on my socials, at Motor Minister on Twitter and at Armani DePaul, A-R-M-A-N-Y-D-E-P-A-U-L on Instagram. You can follow me over there. You can even follow me on TikTok. I'm posting there a little bit, at Motor Minister as well. But once again, thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time.